Coaches, what is up? Welcome to Keep Your Pads Down, the podcast for defensive line coaches made by a defensive line coach. I'm your host, Coach Ty Taylor, defensive line coach and recruiting coordinator at Pleasant Grove High School in Texarkana, Texas. And this is episode number 89. So wherever you're listening to us today, thank you so much for joining us. Well, we are off and rolling with season three of our podcast. We had a great response from last week's episode with Coach Kuligowski from Toledo. And last week, I announced a lot of new exciting things that we have going on with our podcast in 2021. And I'm not going to recap all of those, but I will remind you that we do now have our own merchandise store where you can go and pick up your favorite KYPD t-shirts, long and short sleeve. Uh, those are pretty sharp looking and will make you the envy of the coach's office, no doubt. Uh, in addition to t-shirts, we have some really nice hoodies, coffee mugs, decals, uh, and more. So go and check out our merch store and remind everybody around you to keep their pads down. You can find the link to our store in the show notes of today's episode or in the bio of our Twitter page, which again is at KYPD Podcast. Also, we are happy to be partnering with GoEdit Graphics this season, which is a company that is helping athletic programs improve their exposure to students, parents, and social media followers using their ready-made templates. So here's how it works. GoEdit Graphics allows any coach to create custom graphics in minutes by changing the colors, text, and images to make it their own. They offer categories like game day, scoring, player profiles, and communication, to name a few. The platform is easy, affordable, and no design skills are needed. GoEdit Graphics is a great way to showcase all your sports and athletes, and subscriptions are for 12 months and include unlimited graphics. Now, here's something cool that GoEdit is doing for KYPD listeners. Mention Keep Your Pads Down and receive $25 off your showcase yearly package. You can check out at GoEdit Graphics on Twitter to see the custom graphics that coaches are already creating and request a quick 10-minute demo on GoEditGraphics.com. Also, all the graphics we use for our podcast this season will be created through GoEdit, so you can check out our Twitter feed for examples of the types of custom graphics you can create for your own athletic program. And if you're like me and the like de facto social media coach uh, on staff or also like me, the recruiting coordinator, uh, on your staff, or, or maybe you're just looking for a way to promote your athletes and program online, then GoEdit is a great way to do that. So go check them out and let them know you heard about them here on KYPD and get $25 off your showcase yearly package. Now let's get to today's guest. I've been looking forward to this episode for a while now and I'm so excited for you to hear from author, speaker, mental training expert, and the mentorship program director for Train to Be Clutch, Lucas Jaden. Now, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, then you know that I'm a huge fan of Joshua Metcalf and his books, Chop Wood, Carry Water, and Pound the Stone, which, which is how I got connected with Lucas, who works with Joshua at Train to Be Clutch and has recently released his own book entitled Win in the Dark. I read Win in the Dark over Christmas break and, and absolutely loved it. Uh, you know, whether you're a coach or not, Win in the Dark is a must read as it you know, addresses how you should handle things like your little man voice. Uh, and the importance of putting in the work and preparation in the dark so that you can shine in the bright lights. Uh, if you've read Chop Wood, Carry Water, or Pound the Stone, then you'll recognize some of the principles discussed in, in When in the Dark, which also is told in a fable or parable form. Uh, so uh, very uh, easy to read and, and, and very practical wisdom there that you can apply to your team or organization today. Anyway, I'm thrilled to have Lucas on today and, and you know, for you guys to hear what he has to say, because I know you're getting ready to get some invaluable wisdom that, if you'll allow it, will help you, your, your team, uh, your, your family, organization, whatever it is, achieve greater success. 
Lucas is an author, speaker, and mindset architect. He works with world-class business leaders, elite athletes, and educational leaders to help them unlock themselves from fear, doubt, and stress to live in a place of freedom, opportunity, and fulfillment. Lucas started his professional career as a 7th grade middle school teacher and a high school basketball coach. While coaching at Appleton North High School, Lucas assisted on teams that won back-to-back Wisconsin State Championships. After four years of teaching, Lucas quit his full-time job to pursue his passion of mental skills, leadership, and culture development. Today, Lucas continues to teach a mental skills course for high school students in Wisconsin, while simultaneously working with clients from high-performing organizations like the 2020 World Series champion LA Dodgers. Lucas is the founder of the organization Inspire Sports that has created athletic camp opportunities for thousands of kids with special needs across the country. He currently lives in Wisconsin with his wife, Katie, son, Drew, and daughter, Nellie. All right. Well, hey, are you excited? I'm excited. Let's go ahead and get started and dive right into my conversation with Lucas Jaden here on episode number 89 of KYPD. Uh, I'm very excited to be uh, be talking today with Lucas Jaden. Uh, Lucas, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ty. Thank you for having me. Well, we were. I, I guess I could. I, I guess we we're put in touch by really a guy who's become one of my favorite authors over the last few years, and that's Joshua Metcalf. And I, I don't know him, so I'm not name dropping or anything, but. Um, had messaged him about um, just about his books and his message, and and uh, he he suggested you as a person that I should talk to, and so really excited that we we get to have you on here. Um, let's let's just begin with with you bringing us up to speed on how you got to, to where you are today. You know, uh, maybe some people and circumstances who've kind of molded and shaped you uh, up to this point. Yeah, no, for sure, and. Um... When I look back at my history, you know, to become a mental skills coach and a culture coach, uh, it was kind of a, it's been a journey since I was the oldest in my family, two younger brothers, grew up in Freedom, Wisconsin, and sports were just always part of our life. Um, Not just my, for my brothers, but my extended family was, we were like many families where that's just what we did. And so anything that we could compete in, we played. And so through the years, uh, my training really began probably in, in high school from the mental side of things. It's where I kind of, I'll explain to people, it's where my elite skills started to be trained was because there was just a lot of suffering. Um, I had an incredible family support system, incredible parents, but I ran into this challenge around my, my sophomore year of high school where I just couldn't sleep at night. And so I found very quickly that I had a mind that would just turn and turn and turn. And what I know now was just one of the many subconscious things that we as humans come into this world with is a brain that is built to predict and protect us. We're survival beings, so it's always on the lookout for what might go wrong or where we stand in the gang or where it thinks we stand. And for me, being totally ignorant to that left me in kind of this this tense spot of, of trying to control my thoughts and trying to figure out how to slow my mind down with really not a lot of direction. And so it was over a year of not sleeping and going off of about four hours of sleep until finally, uh, I can remember talking to my mom that, uh, 
that conversation that no young boy wants to have of like, I don't know what's going on, but we've got to figure out something. And uh, I was so blessed to have her and my dad in my corner. But 15 years ago, mental skills really just weren't a, a real thing that was talked about. And so I remember we went into the, the doctor's office and after some conversation, he prescribed uh, some medication for me. But uh, it totally helped in the moment, but it just didn't sit well with me of like, is this it? You know, is this the real solution? Am I really broken? And so the reason I share this is because this was my training, was diving into how can I figure out my own mind that is obsessed with the future, that is obsessed with my past and can't seem to be in the present moment. Now, today, this is exactly what I get to help the people that I work with. The same thing is I tell them my product is freedom. <laughs> it's freedom from exactly what I was going through. But my learning on how to deliver that was occurring already as a high schooler. And so I started reading, started diving into the mental side of things. Um, I graduated from Freedom High School and uh, went to the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse, and there continued my study into the mental side of things, got cross paths with people like Joshua, who just pointed me in the the right direction. And so long story short, I started to grow myself and experience more personal freedom, letting go of some of the things that were once holding back instead of letting go of integrating them. And when you grow personally, uh, you've probably experienced those two ties that people start to notice and people start to get curious and ask of how that happened. And so my mission went from just figuring out for myself to then also sharing it with others. And my passion was coaching basketball. And so I uh, created basketball camps that really were about training hoops players, but also really about honing hoops players as the best mental skills people they could be as well. And so that journey um, just took off. I was doing about probably about a thousand hours of mental skills training, most of it for free (laughs) for over a three year span. I graduated college as a seventh grade math and science teacher and uh, but continued my passion of coaching until it led me to to meet Joshua and where we just partnered up uh, and I I was able to help him on his journey of building train to be clutch further uh, to present day where you know I get to serve people in the highest levels of professional sports to uh, people in business to um, high school athletics and so it's been, that's been my journey from a big zoomed out version of just personal growth and learning how I tick, learning how to overcome those subconscious limiters that I think are common among all humans that yeah. I learned for myself and then how to share and teach those for other people. So have you always been a self-motivated person? Cause it kind of sounds like, you know, you, you kind of took some of this stuff upon yourself and really started digging in and exploring an, an aspect of athletics or, you know, really success in any arena that was really kind of untapped at the time. Like you said, there wasn't a whole lot out there on mental training. So is that something that you just kind of, you, 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 you blazed your own path or did you, you know, did, did you find or identify people or there people in your life who kind of helped you along that way? How did that come about? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, maybe it's the oldest child syndrome, you know, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, I really, I really think I, I was surrounded by people that were doers, you know, that were um, people that weren't into taking a, a victim mindset by any means, that were about 
dealing with whatever was on our plate. And now I say that with the also perspective, I didn't really have another option. My option was to sit there in the pain and the suffering that I was already in of his life. I can remember very, very clearly when I was laying there in the middle of the night, <laughs> awake, hearing that clock tick, tick, just reminding me that I was still awake and going to be exhausted the next morning. And that level of pain kind of puts you in a corner for you to decide what are you going to do? Because the only thing that seemed like an option for me was it can't stay like this. And so ultimately, that is what propelled me forward to figure things out um, and keep looking was the need that I knew there had to be greater freedom out there than what I was already experiencing. And so I don't know how to fully articulate or answer your question of where kind of my drive came from, but it is something that I've always been interested in is what makes great people tick? You know, my training is under the realm of positive psychology through Dr. Martin Seligman. And his world of psychology was really that old psychology looked at how to take people that were really hurting, you know, that had some severe disabilities and just bring them back to baseline. But Dr. Martin Seligman's field was around how do we take people that are getting by, but how do we help them to thrive? And that's where I was just naturally obsessed with and wired in is how do we take people that are already good, but how do we help them to become great? And what can we do from the mental perspective to help unlock them to be there? And then from a team perspective, how do we do that collectively to help a team thrive? You, you then went on to, you started uh, an organization called Inspire Sports, I believe, while you were, while you were teaching and coaching. So talk about what that was and or what that is and, and what you sought to do through that organization. Yeah, so it was, it's all kind of weaved together. So basically, when I was coaching, I was looking for a way for, uh, at the time, I was a varsity girls basketball coach, and I was looking for a way for them to do a really good fundraiser that would also give back to the community. And so basically, we just threw some stuff against the wall and created a camp for kids with special needs to come in and just spend an hour playing. And it was a hit, to say the least. And basically, uh, one story that comes to mind is we had a, an athlete come to that clinic. His name was Jordan. Jordan was about a first grader, little glasses, skinny little guy that comes in with his mom. And now at these clinics, we had about <clears throat> 25 to 30 kids with special needs and their parents would come in, introduce them to their mentor athlete who happened to be one of my athletes on my team. We would pair them up one-to-one and our athletes who are the mentors, their only job is to make that day awesome for this, for this you know, student with special need. And then the parents get to sit and just enjoy it and finally just watch their kiddos. And this one particular uh, athlete, Jordan, comes in and his mom is like, Jordan, tell Lucas, and at that time the athletes that were mentoring him, about your new shoes. And he's like, yeah, guys, I got these new shoes for Christmas. And it was right after Christmas, kind of like now. And he's like, I got these new shoes for Christmas just for this clinic. They're my fast shoes. <laughs> and he's like, he does like fast feet in front of us. And, uh, and the mom just shared that. Uh, she's like, yeah, not only did he get it just for this clinic, but he's been wearing them for the last three days. He hasn't taken them off even when he fell asleep. <laughs> That's awesome. And, uh, and that just, I think it shows the joy. Um, it shows the excitement for these clinics. And that one clinic turned into... Um, man, we've run over probably 70 more clinics 
since that. It was seven years ago. We served over 10,000 different kids. And just how it relates to the mental side of things is I was fortunate enough to coach on a team where we won back-to-back state championships in Wisconsin uh, for girls basketball. And we would strategically place these camps during our playoff season because we wanted our athletes to get this experience because when you show up and get a heart posture of I'm going to serve people, it takes our mind off of the pressure that often we're creating on ourselves. It takes our mind off of um, what we might think is wrong in our current life. We would also do these uh, during the grind, the dark of the season, which often was January, where players start to resent each other because they're just being around each other for so long, or maybe, you know, just really self-pity coming out. We want them to be in this environment of true gratitude because what we see in those, in, in those camps, without even having to say it, is a perspective shift, a perspective shift from I have to do all of this, I have to go and practice, I have to sit on the bench and might not be able to play, to them realizing that every opportunity that they get to be a part of this team, often what they might even consider a burden is what some people in this world would consider a blessing and that they don't have to do any of this, that they get to. And these clinics just serve as a reminder, a perspective shift that our time is short here. Being able to play on a team is short and to bring that gratitude and gratefulness every day. And to me, when you shift that perspective, um, it solves a lot of problems on its own. So that's the, the nature of Inspire. To this day, when I work with programs um, on mental skills, they'll bring me in from Train to Be Clutch. Within a very short time, I'll be encouraging them to run their own Inspire camp because it just has so many residual benefits moving forward. So now you've already alluded to it a little bit. Uh, talk about your, your work through Train to Be Clutch, your partnership with Joshua Metcalf, and what you guys are doing through that organization. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Train to Be Clutch is really simple. We just started as an organization to serve and love people and provide a lot of value when it comes to leadership, culture, and mental training. So those are the three areas that we really want to help people get systematic on and operate by design instead of default. I mean, we just see so many coaches, so many leaders that are very specific on the systems they run for what offense am I going to run? What defense am I going to run? But when we ask them, so how do you specifically make sure that you are an elite trust builder? And not just you, because if you have a large staff, like a lot of our football teams do, how do you ensure that your coaches and your leaders are elite trust builders? and that you have a developmental system to help get them there. So those are just some of the questions that Train to Be a Clutch is about helping our clients get to. And so, yeah, that um, my work, I do about 99% of our work within Train to Be Clutch at this point. Um, and that is from all spans and all contexts of life. And uh, I think it's, it's interesting because even though, you know, many of your listeners might be coaches, they are handling, if they're a leader, they're facing many of the same challenges as what a Fortune 500 leader is mm -hmm. or what a, a mother is that's leading a family or like it's just we're humans. And so a lot of the challenges, which means a lot of the solutions are going to be the exact same. So let's let's say that that, uh, you know, I'm a football coach and you were going to um, we were our football team was going to be a client of yours. What would we expect to get from you guys? What, you know, what sorts of uh, types of resources and materials and, and training mentoring would you guys offer? 
Yeah. It's a great question. Um, it, it, it depends, but the fundamentals are first, first this, do you understand what is really holding your team back from being the best version of itself? That's the first place that we would even start. And so what I mean by that is when I jump on a zoom conversation, uh, Lord knows we've done a lot of those since March, (laughs) but when I would jump on with your, your team or your program, the first question that I would ask of them, actually I would ask them in an intake survey ahead of time is what is the toughest mental challenge holding you back from being the best version of yourself? And so I'll ask them to answer that anonymously to be the most truthful. What do you think that would, uh, what do you think the answers are? We have, man, probably 30,000 plus responses to this question. What do you think comes up the most? Yeah, I would, uh, I would say maybe a lot of it would be on, you know, player buy-in, maybe parents, parents, but parent buy-in, administration issues, you know, no support from administration. Um, you know, kids are, uh, you know, again, it probably just a lot of on the kids, you know, kids don't know, uh, the value of hard work anymore these days or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And for sure. And that's usually where it starts, but that's never really the true piece. What I hear in coaches underneath it is, do I have what it takes to meet all the new demands that are now on my plate, yeah. which is what you just brought up. Um, and that's why we label it as the little man voice. Yeah. It's that voice underneath people that subconsciously they don't even understand is owning them a voice of fear, insecurity, self-doubt that questions if they have the capabilities to do what it takes to answer the call. And then from a, a player perspective, like we would have that answer for the coaches and then also for the players, it's consistently, what are other people thinking about? me? What happens if I go all in and I, my everything that I give isn't quite enough. What if this doesn't quote pay off? Like I expect it to pay off. Um, invariably when we get to the root of it, those are the toughest challenges that are creating divisions among coaching staffs and among coaching staffs and among programs. So it's fear. We have a name for it. It's called the twin thieves, um, fear of failure and fear of judgment. And they're called the twin thieves because they can look the same, um, but they're very different and they're different. And we call them thieves because if you are not aware of the fear underlying that's running your actions, they will rob us blind. And so our first action is about building fear resilience. Can you name your little man voice? That voice that tells you you're not enough, that tells you you don't have what it takes. And do you know how to become free of it? Become a person who can transcend that freedom to be the best leader that you can be. Because all of those things that you brought up earlier about Coaches or you know, coaches not being bought in as much, players not being bought in as much, the, the new entitlement era that we're in. All of that might be true, but the reality is it doesn't change what it means to be in the present moment. It just is what it is. What, do, what matters is, as a leader, can you handle it? And can you build the resources and the environment to still thrive anyways? Yeah, I think that's. And and maybe what I was saying was, are, you know, listing byproducts that are that occurs when there is that fear present and that maybe that unnamed or unidentified fear within a program within coaches and yeah. players alike. 
Um, well, we're, we're, you're already kind of getting into some th- some things that you talk about in uh, in your book that that came out earlier this year called "Win in the Dark," and I want to talk about that because it's a great book. Um, if you are a fan, guys who are listening to this, if you're a fan of uh, Joshua Medcast books, uh, "Burn Your Goals," "Chop Wood, Carry Water," uh, "Pound the Stone," uh, all great, outstanding books. Uh, "Win in the Dark" is really very similar to those, although there are you know several different concepts that make it unique and stand alone uh, as a, as a book. But uh, Lucas, I want to talk about that book and just first of all discuss the, the the meaning or the significance of the title "Win in the Dark." You know, how did you settle on that that particular title? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it kind of goes back to what we had just talked about. "Win in the Dark" um, came from for me came from this perspective as I started to really dive in to work with some of these clients and people that are the highest performers in their, their area. You know, what I found over and over again is none of, none of them were immune from what I consider the dark. There's this illusion that I think social media has helped to exasperate that some people get by without having to face the dark, without having to overcome their own fears, that some people just have it easier. And over and over again, I just got to find that that just wasn't the case, that every single human, no matter what you see on the outside, under the bright lights, had to overcome and win their own battles in the dark when nobody was looking. And it's not just the physical work that's hard in those moments, but rather the mental ones that we have to navigate. You know, when I work with some of our our players, I remember where the title really became concrete for me was when I was sitting down with a a pro baseball team during spring training. We sat in a circle with about eight to 10 players. Now these guys have more money than you could ask for. They're not asking, they don't need more resources. They have all the resources that you could want, but still what their greatest holdup was and what they experienced was this mental side of it. And what they talked about was it's not the long hours. It's not the hundreds of swings in the batting cage that is the hardest for us to work through. We love the game of baseball. The hardest thing is when you can no longer do more work. It's when you have to lay your head down on the pillow and surrender that hoping that what you did was good enough to get the result that you hoped for. It was, you know, standing out in the outfield when you're already 0 for 3 and listening to that little person voice saying, are you going to have what it takes to go forward? Are you going to be exposed this year? Like that was hearing them talk about it and going around the circle. Every one of them could connect to each other. It just got solidified that what we're writing about is you're not going to avoid the dark. We're going to talk about how do you face it head on and win in the dark. And so uh, just one more story of what this looks like. One of my my clients is a really skilled uh, young high school basketball player. And he got on the phone with me on one of our first conversations and said, you know, coach, this year is going to be, my coaches are really counting on me. He had been starting as a freshman and sophomore, received a scholarship offer, had a lot of limelight on him, but he had really good teammates around him. But now becoming a junior, he was now being looked at as the dude, for lack of better words. And so he was just saying, you know, my coaches need me, want me to be more aggressive. And I don't know what happens when I miss my first couple shots, I just become more neutral. Like I just, I kind of float. I don't attack anymore. And 
so we dove into what does the dart look like for him? So I, the way that I get there is ask him, okay, well, well, what's getting in the way of you being aggressive? And that's one of the ways that where I'm different, most people would jump into trying to tell him what he needs to do. I want to understand what's the conversation of his little person voice, that voice of fear that's blocking what would probably already come naturally from him. And so what he shared was, you know, it's just like I have this little man voice saying, when you miss those first shots, this isn't going to be good. You know, you're going downhill for here. God, you're going to be an embarrassment. Everyone's counting on you. How can you consistently not be enough? And we got to that point through some conversation. And then my next conversation or question to him was, well, not enough compared to who? Because I think so many of your athletes and coaches can relate to the feeling of that voice of, I'm not enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not fast enough, whatever it is. And he thought about it for a second. He's like, you know, nobody's really ever asked me that, but it's honestly... It has to do with my brother. My little man voice is always comparing me to my brother and that I'm never going to be quite good enough to be as good as what he was. Well, it just turned out that his brother, uh, not too long ago, was drafted to the professional level of his sport. So you can imagine the immense amount of pressure on this young man. And so the dark for him and this athlete is how do you navigate those thoughts in the dark? How do you navigate that little man saying you're never going to measure up? You're not going to be enough. Because if you believe those to be true, it will own you. It will be great when things are going well, when you hit the first few shots. But it's going to be really hard when you don't. And so what we, what we do for helping him to win in the dark is just to question those thoughts. Is it true that you don't have what it takes? Most often what my clients are doing when I start to work with them is they're predicting a future that hasn't even happened yet. That isn't good. <laughs> That's bad. So they're trying to avoid a future that hasn't happened. It's the equivalent of just playing it safe, of playing not to lose, which becomes a perpetual game of, of what ends up happening is self-fulfilling prophecy if we do lose. And so um, to help him out, we just question, is that true? And then really start navigating, what are you going to do in those moments in the game when that comes up? What does the aggressiveness look like, even though you feel those thoughts? Um, so later that night, this is a true story. He goes out um, and he was averaging about 20 points a game. He goes out and he drops 40. Hmm. Now, I don't, I don't, I'm not telling you like that's what just happens. It's magic. He already had that capability inside of him. But it was these limiting factors that were holding him back mentally that then he gets unlocked and now is free to be the best that he can be. And so winning in the dark is about how do you face whatever is the limiter of your darkness to consistently win over and over and over again to be at your best uh, when you want it the most. Yeah, you, you talk a lot about in the book about the little man voice and identifying that and, and just some other things that I'll that I'll that, that I that I wrote down here that I really liked. Uh, and I was hoping you could get into one of the one of the things you talked about is uh, learning to basically bulletproof yourself from from those things from that little man voice. Talk about that a little bit and, and what that means and, and how people can do that bulletproof themselves yeah. from external influences, fears and even internal fears. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. I mean, the first, the first portion of it is awareness. I cannot stress this enough that if you're not aware of what fears, insecurities, and things are under the surface, truly eroding your confidence or truly eroding your team's confidence, you cannot address it. You know, it's like, it's like not being able to identify where a blitz is coming from that continues to get to your quarterback. Like you first have to be aware of it. Um, before we can begin to bulletproof it. So I'll, I'll, I'll just start with a quick story. Um, a friend of mine is, uh, trains fighter pilots in the Air Force, and they developed this term called OBE, overcome by events. And what he'll do before he'll trust one of his protégés to fly an actual jet, he'll put them inside of a simulator. And then in that simulator, he can crank up the different events that they're going to face. So a basic level one event might be just taking off. But then once they're up in the air, you know, they have to figure out, he can crank up the events to, you know, maybe different winds that they're hit with, or maybe a flock of geese, or crank it up a little bit higher to where an enemy plane comes into the peripherals, to maybe an engine going out to the highest levels that they might have. And at some point, what he's looking for is at what level are they OBE? Where does their current training run out? And when do they crack? When do they become OBE? And the reason I think it's so powerful is because this is what I encourage all of our coaches to do. In order to become bulletproof from your fears, it's one, becoming aware of them, but then two, putting yourself through training that is so difficult, that doesn't um, run away from those fears, but rather brings them up in training. We truly believe that uncomfortable, being uncomfortable isn't a choice. You just get to choose where you experience it most, either on the practice field in the dark or under the bright lights. And so bulletproofing is really just a process of are you one aware of your limitations, of your vulnerabilities from a mental perspective? What does that sound like from the little man voice? And so to give you know your listeners a little bit more of a of a context, you know, as a coach and a leader yourself, you know, doing a podcast, which is incredible during all these crazy times that we're going through right now, what's been like a, a little man voice inside of you that's built out of the the self-doubt, the insecurity. What a, what's something that your little man voice has has shared or said to you in the during these times? Yeah, uh, starting out, you know, it's uh, I think one of the big things that held me back from just just launching this whole thing was, man, no one's gonna want to hear what you have to say. And then yeah. you, know, you can't do a podcast because I knew nothing about starting a podcast when when this whole thing began. Uh, you know, what are people going to say? And, you know, when you put stuff out on social media, there's always people who are going to have negative reactions to it. And a lot of positive, but a lot of negative as well. And, you know, just can I do this? Will people listen to it or will it just be like, you know, the, the members of my family because they feel bad for me? Um, so all those things, you know, will I come off sounding like a know-it-all? You know, all those things kind of, you know, run, ran through my head and still run through my head at some, at some time, at some point in time, uh, even today. Yeah, no, terrific. And I would argue that the moment they don't run through your head, 
um, is the moment you're not pushing your comfort zones anymore. Yeah. The way that you know you're pushing your comfort zones is when your little man voice gets fired up. But here's the reality. Most people have a, a very ignorant relationship to how the brain, how the mind works, and specifically a relationship with their voice of fear, their little man voice. So if you aren't aware of it, it's going to own you. Most people then would never even start the podcast because you just brought up kind of the nuance of how the brain works, which I talked about earlier, which is it's going to predict, try and predict and protect you to just merely survive, which if it was up to your little man voice, you would never put yourself out there because by putting yourself out there, you are risking the, the, the chance that you're going to be quote unquote exposed. And so with your kind of scenario, it's the same as our athletes who are going through the question in their mind of, you know, am I going to be exposed when I go all out tonight? Um, what's going to happen to me here? And so your fear resilience, um, what I'm wondering for you, you know, would you look at you now when you look backwards, if someone else was telling you, yo, Ty, you know, I'm building this podcast and I'm having these thoughts like no one's going to listen to it. You're out of your league. Who do you think you are? This is a waste of your time. Would you look at them and be like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, yeah, of course. And I would say, yeah, you know, you, you got to go for it anyway. If that's something you're passionate about, if you feel like, right. you know, you're called to do it, you got to do it. But, but I want to, and I'll rephrase my question. Would you look at them like something was wrong? Oh, no, 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 I, no, not at all. Not at all. Right. You'd be like, yeah, bro, this is exactly the journey that I experienced. You're not broken. Here's the issue. Most people, because they listen to pop psychology, think that all of their thinking is inside of their control which is a very sad and futile thing to believe because then we start to think that you are 100% inside of your little man voice, which couldn't be further from the truth. That voice is a mechanism inside of us. It's not fully controllable. You didn't wake up going, yo, I can't wait to think I'm scared to do this. <laughs> I can't wait to think, God, you're going to be exposed. You know, it just, it just happens, which should be our first clue that it's automation. It's how a healthy human mind works. So instead of resisting it and acting like we're broken, I train people, one, to embrace that voice, not fight it, not battle it, just embrace it, but choose to act out of courage instead of fear. Choose to act in spite of it. That's a radically different way of operating than thinking you're broken, something's wrong with you, you need to be fixed, and fighting it. Do you see that difference? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's, it's there, that voice is going to be there. It's, it's, we all have it. It's what we choose to do with it. that makes the difference. Yeah. And so just a, a little context, like before a big game, you know, you've trained your athletes, they come out and you have that one player that, you know, you need to play, have him play at a high level, but you can see the look of fear. His little man voice is just kind of owning them in that moment. And you can tell him, you know, maybe he comes up to you as like, coach, I'm, I'm just anxious, you know, I'm worried, like, I don't know, a bubble of a lot. And what do you do? You know, I've heard so many coaches in that moment who they're trying to do their best, but they make that player seem like something's wrong. Like, oh God, you know, just, just take a breath, just take a breath, or just think positive, just think positive, or uh, just block it out. All of that might be coming from a, a, a good place, but none of it is going to help them 
get to a place of ease and freedom, which will be at their best. What does help them is one, building a language beforehand so that in that moment you can go, hey, sounds like the little man's here. He'll look at you and be like, yeah. Well, what does that little man mean? It's not a sign that you're broken. It's a sign that you are pushing your comfort zones. And how exciting is that, that we are here in this moment pushing our comfort zones together. So just don't forget that I've got your back. We're here for you. Radically different um, way of responding in that circumstance. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's just so, uh, man, that's, that's groundbreaking stuff because I think a lot of times with coaches, kind of like you already mentioned it, you know, we're, we're really good at the, the having a plan for the X's and O's and, and all that kind of stuff. But when it comes to handling our players and their mental, uh, you know, fears and, and, you know, you know, inadequacies and things like that, that we, we sometimes just revert back to the rote phrases and cliche sayings mm-hmm. that, that we have just grown up with and, and it really don't, don't help or address the root of the issue. Yeah. Yeah, and I want I want to be very very clear. I have zero zero judgment. To anybody yeah, yeah, of course. I have done those very same things. I just want there to be growth, you know, yeah. and, and continued growth for everybody that might be listening. And so, you know, that is when, you know, one of your questions: What does train to be clutch offer? It's not just us, but I would challenge people to get a system of how do you do leadership development? How do you do culture building? And how do you do mental skills? What are your beliefs around it? And how do you lay them out so that it's repeatable year to year to year? I firmly believe that, you know, bad coaches have hopes. Uh, good coaches, or sorry, average coaches have quotes and they just, you know, pick and choose. They're trying their best to learn and incorporate, but it might be like what they saw on Twitter or what was their last book they read. But elite coaches have systems. and that's what I'm just encouraging coaches to have. So all of the the books that I, I say all of them, um, I, I know, you know, Chop Wood, Carry Water, Pound the Stone, those two books by Joshua, uh, and and then now this book, Train in the Dark, are all told in parable format. Mm-hmm. Talk about you know why you chose to go that route and, and what why that's a, a an effective way to get your point across. <laughs> yeah, it's I, I just really. Uh, my, I have a three-year-old at home, and his name is Drew. And one of Drew's favorite things is to hear a story. And I don't know how many of your listeners have kids, but I'm willing to bet most of them have at least at one point told their young, younger children a story. And stories are powerful. They connect cultures. One of the first things I encourage our, our coaches or any of my clients that I – get to work with to do is to start sharing their story, the good stuff along with the challenging stuff, because stories give us a place to connect. And so we write in stories because of that. It just um, comes off differently. I don't believe humans like to be told what to do, but when it's presented in a story, it's more like an invitation. You know, they can pull out things that they want or not. And the other thing that what I've realized a story does is when I write the stories, it allows me to get the nuances between the interactions between player and coach uh, that too often are left out when we just like tell people how to operate. And so that's really what, um, where we stand on just the power of story and why we, why we teach through them. Uh, and, 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 
when in the dark is told from, through the perspective of a young uh, high school age boy and, and his grandpa, who's sort of his mentor. Are you, you know, were those characters inspired by you and maybe someone in your own life or how did you build those characters specifically? Yeah, absolutely. Um, these, the characters are, are me, they're Joshua, they're a mix of all of us. None of one is like only us, but then the mentor character is, um, is definitely based on my grandfather. Um, I'm named my middle my full name is Lucas Neil Jaden. My grandpa's name was Neil, and he was just a hero in my life, a hero in many people's lives. When I look at what I get to help people do, it's reach a place of inner freedom, regardless of what's going on externally, to be at a place of peace, be at a place of internal freedom, to be able to respond to difficult circumstances on the outside. And what I didn't know spending so much time with my grandpa, just to give you a little context, my grandpa was one of those guys that he was basically the pseudo grandpa for everybody on all my sports teams. He was at every single game. I remember many, many nights of sleeping over at his house in his backyard, hitting the golf ball, um, playing baseball games with my cousins. Like that's the type of type of dude that he was. But he was a model of what it's like to live a life according to your principles instead of other people's preferences. Uh, and he never taught it to me. Like, he never taught it to me directly. He just modeled it. He modeled what it was like to have joy, to consistently laugh. You know, he passed away about two and a half years ago now, and there's not a day that I don't think about him. When you think about people that have that level of impact on you, those are special people. And I think what it is, is those people that have that level of impact, they have something that we want. They have something that we desire. And for me, I know that it was that level of freedom and joy that he had just to experience life in its most simple form to its highest capability. And so he helped to uh, just lay a groundwork for many things in my life and was definitely uh, the reason for the mentor in this character or in the story. I think one of the, again, looking back on all of these books, the one of the there's several common characteristics throughout the you know with the mentor character, uh, but one of the big things that sticks out to me is I think back on all of those guys is their their patience with the person they're mentoring, and the fact that whatever happens with with the 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 person being mentored, uh, whether they they get in a fight, they become injured, they 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 have a, a big time failure is that they never um they're they're not ever shocked or surprised or they don't act out of you know what, what were you thinking it, it's just extreme patience and um unflappable i don't know how you know how else to put that yeah. um and, and i got a question because that is exactly when i work with leaders when we get to breaking down trust if you don't have trust it doesn't matter what skills what stories you have they will be used against you instead of for you. And so when you look at that nuance, like the leader who is truly patient, that is a heart first approach leader, like you've seen leaders like that get results. What do you think from your perspective gets in the way of coaches operating out of that heart posture? I think maybe the pressure to to win, or maybe they are op- kind of like what you talked about. I wrote this down. What you said, you know, your grandpa lived uh, his life according to his principles and not other people's preferences. I think that you know, especially as coaches, were results driven. 
well, a lot of people would think that we're a results-driven business. We're, it's a relationship business and it's a people business. Um, but I think that sometimes we get caught up in the results-driven aspect, the bottom line aspect of it. So I think it's, man, I don't have time to, you know, d- yeah. go in and dig, you know, get dig down deep and why this kid's experiencing this. I just, you know, he needs to just get it fixed and figure it out. Yeah, no, and that's and I would encourage people that like be result like care about results. I care about results. I want my clients right. to win. I want them to experience more. But if you truly are in it for the results, then make sure that you are detached from your little man voice. Because what I see over and over again is under the most pressure is where our insecurities, self-doubts, um, and inadequacies will rise to the surface. And in all people can probably relate to at least sometime being around a coach or a leader that under tense situations, they were OBE. They were overcome by events and their insecurities rose up. And so what does that mean? We start to try and take shortcuts to get the results that we desire, which in the end come back to burn us. And so uh, that is why as a coach and all of our mentors are good in their own skin. They are secure in who they are. Their worth does not come from the performance of the people that they're training. And when you can separate your personal worth from the performance of your kids and performance of yourself, you are now freed up to go all in. You know, you are now freed up to leave everything out on the court or out on the field because anytime that we're operating out of fear, it might get us so far but there's always going to be a sense of bracing ourselves, of looking over our shoulder, which when push comes to shove might be that 1% that holds us back from reaching what we ultimately wanted. And so um, these characters, the mentors that are in our stories, they lead with a heart first posture and they are freed up from their little person voice themselves insecurely in who they are, knowing that their worth doesn't come from the success of who they coach doesn't mean they care any less. I would say they care even more. That's why they did the deep work to overcome those self-limiting factors themselves. We've talked about, you know, common you know, issues that you see with, with whether it be individuals or organizations. And, and, and you know, I've talked about the, the little man voice. What other issues, whenever you're helping out a client, whether it be a, a major league baseball team or just an individual, what other issues do you see uh, or breakdowns do you see within, you know, leadership or within culture that, that you also uh, address? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, a number of it is just things that we have, we've kind of covered already. I'll share, I guess I'll share one story in a second, but I would, you know, first just begin with, are you even aware of the twin thieves? How fear of failure and fear of judgment are eroding your culture if you are not aware of them? <laughs> then two, are you aware of how the mind works, how that the little man voice is there, that you are not in 100% control of it? And so instead, then how to build the characteristics to build fear resilience? Because we're seeing right now in this time of the coronavirus, what happens when people believe every fear? Like you believe every fear, just turn on the news and you will be scared consistently living out of a place of fear because you don't know how to be fear resilient, how to question um, just fearful based thinking. But then, so that is kind of the first part. But then where I see the, another breakdown is just how coaches go about um, 10 situations 
when on the surface, they might see and observe an action, but they're not, they don't go below the surface. I'll give you an example. So I get the opportunity to work with uh, and train Dave Roberts. He's the manager for the LA Dodgers. And this past year, they won the World Series. And when they got into the playoffs, right before they were getting into the playoffs, um, they, they had a couple of games that really didn't matter for whether they won or lost, how it would impact their seed. They were the number one seed uh, regardless. So they took the opportunity to rest a few of their players. But now one of their players uh, didn't get the rest. He didn't get, you know, didn't get taken out one game and kind of took that. Now you can see how his little man voice might take that. Oh, I'm not valued as much. I don't belong here. They don't care about me. And he expressed that just like that. Okay. So now most leaders, a lot of leaders that are just average would respond to that by being like, who is this selfish dude getting paid millions of dollars to play baseball and is pissed off because he doesn't get a break? Like what is going on here? And um, so Dave Roberts though, because of this training, observe and just who he is i'm not saying it's just because of what train i've offered him he's an incredible person just has a natural ability to see below the surface to observe what the behavior was but know there's much more under the surface so the average manager might have kind of come at this player kind of cornered him kind of shamed him a little bit more but doc which is what they call him in the locker room takes a whole different sphere of it he, he goes at the angle of Hey, what, what's going on? So he sets up a meeting one-on-one -on -one with this player, just has a really good conversation, gets to the root of what is the little man going on right now? What's holding him back? What was he afraid of? What was, you know, what was it that was truly kind of the friction? And they leave the meeting both feeling in a good place. Now, fast forward to that night, they're playing um, their first round, they're playing the Milwaukee Brewers. And it's kind of coming down to the seventh, I think the seventh or eighth inning, they're, they're supposed to win this game hands down, but the game's a little bit tight. This player comes up to bat. Now in, in baseball, I'm training my clients to be able to be present and at ease to do what I think is probably the hardest thing in sport, which is hit a hundred mile an hour moving baseball. So any bit of tension, resentment, always is going to come out physically in not a good way at the plate. So this batter comes up uh, and he hits a home run opens up the game, ends it pretty much right there. And the reason I bring it up is because Dak goes about it in that way, ultimately allowing his player to be the best version of himself, which then paid them back many dividends in the seventh or eighth inning. Now, most coaches and most people will never see that. They will never see the work that he does behind the scenes. They will never see the work that he puts into checking in with his players, really getting to the work, being empathetic, being patient, really getting to that level. Um, but they will see some of the results on the outside. And so what I'm encouraging people to do is just build your skill set of one fear resilience for yourself. And then you start to gain the skill set to be able to help do it more effectively for other people. And so for coaches, um, I would just encourage them to, to take that as a maybe a note of inspiration to keep diving below the surface because you'll never know when it's going to come back to pay you back. Okay, so here, here's a question for you. When you're working with a client like 
the LA yeah. Dodgers and and you know players and coaches on that state on that in that organization specifically. What battles do you fight with your own little man voice when you're working with such a high profile client? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what do you think? Well, uh, am I qualified to do this? Uh, what if these guys, you know, what if a guy I'm working with goes zero for four tonight and says this dude doesn't know what he's talking about? Um, what if they? you know, come up short again in the World Series this year? Is that going to be somehow they're going to look at me? You know, I mean, all, all those things which are totally, uh, you know, un, yeah. unfounded. You know, I, I, yeah. I would, that, that would be what I would think. I'm saying what I would probably be thinking about myself. No, no, no. You're, you're, you're elite, and this is what's cool is you can, you can pretty much label what other people's little person's voices are. <laughs> like, and I can share this with you because I know it's not me. It's a mechanism in my mind that is, yeah, you're out of your league. Oh, do you have what it takes? Oh, blah, 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 blah. Now, the difference to me is there's a three-step process that I teach my clients. Number one, question your thoughts. So we can just take one of them. Um, uh, you know, you are out of your league. Okay, well, let's just question that. First off, is that 100% true? So that's the first question in this process to become a fear-resilient ninja is, is it 100% true? Well, no. But let me ask you this. The second question is, who do I become believing that lie to be true? And this is where most people operate from. They believe all the thoughts in their head. They think all of them are true. So if I would believe it to be true, that I'm out of my league going into this relationship, how would that impact me? Yeah, it's going to make you ineffective as a, as a mentor and, 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 Kind of like the kid who you talked about plays basketball, you know, kind of shrink back in your shell, not be aggressive. Uh, so, yeah, you nailed it. And it's all the byproducts then of playing out of fear. Maybe I become too pushy. Maybe I try to do too much. Maybe I, whatever it is, like that is the cost of not being able to question the, the subconscious limiting voices that we often allow to own us. And then the third question is, well, then what becomes available to you in the absence of that lie? Because like we just said, it's not 100% true. So what becomes available to me when it's impossible for me to be out of my league? Well, freedom, <laughs> confidence, the ability to go all in. Now, does this mean that it's 100% going to work out? That I'm going to have a long relationship with people from the Dodgers? No, but at least it frees me up to be able to get the best out of what I am able to bring because nothing is worse than when we go into an opportunity. And I've experienced this multiple times growing up. When you go into an opportunity, you want to bring your best, but because you're owned by your little man voice, you don't give your best in that moment. And then you don't get the results you want, the result you want, but the opportunity is gone. So we look back, thinking, if only I would have blamed. And so that's what that process is about, is really questioning, is that 100% true? What does it cost me believing that to be true? And then what becomes available in the absence of that? If, if you really start, if your listeners take away one thing from today, and they just really start to question all of their thoughts, all of their limiting beliefs, question them and put them through this process, I guarantee them that a whole new sphere of capability, a whole new level of joy, and a whole new level of progress will become available to them. All right. So we are at the beginning of 
the new year uh, and, and, and everyone is making resolutions and wanting to improve themselves and looking ahead to, uh, you know, a, a better 2021 coming off a, a really difficult year for a lot of people. Uh, just curious, do you make New Year's resolutions? Uh, I, you know what? I do not um, make specific resolutions, but I do do a process for myself and my clients that is basically we look back on the last year and talk about what is any area where I haven't accepted yet. What I mean by accepted yet is where am I triggered? Our triggers are awesome teaching moments to help us figure out where we are still stuck. And so maybe it's a conversation, something I didn't think went the way it should have, (laughs) according to the world of Lucas. Um, Maybe it was something that I just don't feel good about. What is it going to take for me to completely release that? and integrate it. So first is looking backwards to release any friction. And then I write down a letter to myself going forward of like, okay, what are, and as the year is completed, what do I want to have done? What's the type of person I want to become more like? And so I do write out that letter to myself. So it's a two-step process. How do I reconcile any of the, the stuff that's still hanging out from this past year? And then how do I start to create, consciously create a future that I want to live into? That's interesting. I like that a lot. I I have uh, kind of similarly uh, in the last couple of years sort of ditched making New Year's resolutions and, you know, I've done the, uh, I believe it's the the John Gordon thing where, where, you know, one word that, that, uh, that that kind of you want to be defined as, or want to really, you know, center things around. But I, I think that's great to look back and, 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 see those things, identify, own those things you need to resolve. And then also, you know, whenever you write a letter to yourself, I've done that before in another exercise that's, uh, and then you you open it up and look at it. It's really convicting. And it's an awesome thing if you did live up to what, what you wanted to be and yeah. what you hoped to be. And it's not if, if, if you didn't. And so that's a great way to, to handle the upcoming year. Yeah. All right, so let's 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 uh let's talk some football here as we close out. All right, yeah, you're 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 a Wisconsin native, so you got to be a Packers fan, is that right? I, I I love the Packers. I just watched them last night dominate the the Tennessee Titans. So yes, uh, just for a little backdrop, when I was born, my family put me on the um, the Packers waiting list for season tickets. I think I was so this is February of 1991. And at the time, I was 36,000 on the waiting list. And every year I get a letter. And the last time I received the letter, I was still at like 18 or 19,000. So, wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. Uh, my family has had season tickets in it. My grandpa went to the Ice Bowl. Uh, my grandma on the other side was probably the biggest Packer fan out of all of us. She was just, <laughs> uh, and so the Packers play an important part in my family and family traditions. Okay, so what? Looking at the Packers, what's your uh, what's your your prediction on on their ceiling for this season? I mean, are you saying? Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm wanting you to put your name on. Basically, I'm wanting you to put your name on. Hey, we're going to the oh. Super Bowl and we're going to yeah, win it. Sure. Who is Pat, Who is this Patrick Super Mahomes Bowl. guy? We're going to go to the Super Bowl and we're going to take down Mahomes and the Chiefs, and it's just going to be <laughs> that's that. Like, okay, it is there. All right. Well, let's now let's let, let's say you you are you are um, 
the Green Bay Packers are a client of yours. What's some things that you're telling those guys now as they get ready to get into the playoffs, and which is a grind and another season of itself? What are you telling those guys? Yeah, so there's a <laughs> a story that I'm writing in our the next book I'm working on, and it's basically a, a farmer gives uh, an old farmer gives a really valued watch to his um, to his younger grandson. And this watch is like gold and it's been handed down through the years. And the grandson is so glad and so grateful that he received this watch. And he can just tell how proud his grandpa is to have it. And one day the grandson is just out playing with his friends and he's playing in the, in the haymow. Um, and the haymow, for those that maybe don't know, is where they, they store the hay. And they're just up there roughhousing, playing around and there's hay everywhere. And at the end of the time he's playing, the grandson reaches to his wrist and his heart just sinks because his wristwatch is gone. And he knew he had it on before he had played. And so he's looking around like this is almost an impossible task to find this. So after a little bit of looking, he's kind of defeated, goes out, tells his grandpa. And he's surprised because grandpa doesn't really, doesn't really change his emotion a whole lot, doesn't seem too surprised. And he says, that's all right, we'll go find it. And he's like, you know, Grandpa, I've looked and looked. We're not going to find this. But his grandpa just comes back to the, goes back to the haymow. And he comes in and the little, or the boy is just kind of moving stuff around again. And he's like, whoa, whoa. The grandpa says, just wait, just be still. And so silently, they just stand there and wait. And all of a sudden, he hears it. Tick, tick, tick. And the grandpa walks over to the hay, clears it off picks up the wristwatch, gives it back to the grandson, says, here you go. Uh, and the reason I bring up that story is uh, a friend of mine whose name is Steve Jones, he's one of the, I think, one of the best high school football coaches in America, um, shared that story with me. And I just think at this time of the year, the best teams that, that perform well in the playoffs get closest to what they've been doing all year long. and so. When it comes to these moments that are going to come up, you know, even bad teams can hang with a really good team for a quarter, two quarters, three quarters. And in the playoffs, that tension, the longer they hang around, can get tighter and tighter and tighter. And I just want, you know, would recommend to them to take that story and translate it to just press pause. When you hear that little man voice coming up, farmers watch, press pause laugh at the little man who says, this is it, this is done, you know, and to just be in that moment to trust their training and do what they've done all season long. And so to me, the team that can have the fear resilience in the playoffs, which is how do you handle the little man voice, um, who can have that the best, especially in the world of pro sports, uh, man, you have a unique advantage over your competitors. So that's what I would do, and then I would just sit back and watch, you know, Rodgers do his thing. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's it's interesting that we're we're talking Packers because uh, one of the books I'm reading right now uh, is a a biography on Vince Lombardi called uh, When Pride Still Mattered. And uh, before reading this book, I knew of him, and I knew actually uh, we had Bill Curry on the podcast who played for uh, played for the Packers, played for Vince Lombardi. So I got kind of some perspective talking with him. But it's really it's really a a such an interesting book, and and 
you know, just on who he was as a person and his complexities and, and you know, sort of the start of Green Bay and, and how it became Titletown and, and all those things. So it's a really great book. And I'm still not I'm still not there yet. I'm still a Cowboys fan, even though amidst the dumpster fire that they are at this point. But I am envious of how well that organization is run and consistently they've been able to win year in and year out. Maybe we just need to do away with the whole owner and GM thing. I think that would fix a lot of problems here in Dallas. Hey, man, I don't, I don't know. But uh... – yeah, all I know is I guess you've got McCarthy, we've got Lafleur. Um, it's just a very different story that's happening uh, in Green Bay versus Dallas. You're right. But you're right. Time will tell. You're right. You're right. Well, Lucas, thank you so much for joining us and taking some time uh, today to talk with us and share with us. Um, we're going to have all the details uh, for guys to be able to get a hold of you in the show notes and also a link to to your book, Win in the Dark, uh, in the show notes of this episode. Uh, but again, thank you so much for coming on and giving so much great information and insight to us uh, today. No, thank you, Ty. Thank you for, out of all the other things that you could be doing right now, taking the time to um, just add value to your community's life. And so I just hope that my words can resonate and I hope that they can feel that I'm coming from a total heart posture of, of gratefulness, of compassion with wherever they're coming from. And I really just want to thank them also for their commitment to the people in their lives. So um, thank you. Thanks once again to Lucas for joining us today. You know, I hope you were taking notes during our conversation because there were a ton of great nuggets there that Lucas dropped concerning mental toughness, success, you know, owning your little man voice. Uh, but hey, if you didn't take notes, I got you covered. I will post a few of my notes from our conversation on Twitter later in the week. And you can also see a few of those in the show notes of today's episode as well. Uh, also, I got to mention this, you know, after what the Packers did to the Rams on Saturday, uh, Lucas's Super Bowl prediction for the Packers is looking pretty good. So uh, we'll have to keep an eye on that. Now, you know, after reading uh, his book, Lucas's book, Win in the Dark, uh, and then talking to him, you know, I love the things that he said about our, you know, as he called it, our little man voice and, and the twin thieves, which, you know, rob us of our joy and our effectiveness as, as coaches, teachers, uh, dads, and, well, just leaders in general. Uh, anyway, uh, great stuff from, from Lucas. Uh, go ahead and check out his book, Win in the Dark. There is a link to that in today's show notes, and I'll put up a link to the book on Twitter this week as well. It's a really uh, easy read. Like I said, I read it over Christmas break, very uh, straightforward. And even if you're not a reader, it's one that you're going to really enjoy. I would also recommend the books written by Lucas's partner, Joshua Medcalf, which include uh, Burn Your Goals, Chop Wood, Carry Water, and the sequel to Chop Wood entitled uh, Pound the Stone. Those are all great books. Again, easy to read, full of practical wisdom that will help you be a, a better leader, whether you're a football coach or not. Now, our quote of the day comes from Lucas's book, Win in the Dark. And to, to give some context here, so this is a quote made by a mentor character in the book, when he's talking to the story's main character, who is a teenage boy uh, who has just set a pretty lofty goal for himself. Forget the goals. The real questions are, what are you willing to sacrifice inside your 86,400 seconds every day to close the gap between where you are and where you want to be? What are you willing to commit to doing with your 168 hours every week to become more of the type of person you want to become? The answers to those questions are way more powerful than setting arbitrary outcome-based goals. And that's a wrap for us this week. Thank you for tuning in. Give us a follow on Twitter at KYPD Podcast and leave us a rating interview and help us spread the word about our podcast here. 
Finally, you know, before we sign off today, I got a little bit of a bone to pick with you guys, okay? Uh, This past week, I turned to Twitter for help with with this last part of our episode where we always sign off with our guests saying, keep your pads down. And, And I asked for any coach to come on and give us their best keep your pads down. Didn't ask, you know, for a college coach, high school coach. I, I didn't care. You soccer coach even. Uh, you didn't even have to be a real coach. Maybe you're just someone who is enthusiastic about pad level. Anyway, my DMs were drier than a, a bake sale pound cake. Not one of you slaps wanted to help your boy out. So, you know, hey, if you want anything done, you got to do it yourself. So here it goes. Join us back next week for episode number 90. And for goodness sakes, man, keep your pads down.